Thank you, Bobby and the worship team. Well, it's great to be with you today on this Resurrection Sunday. So glad you're here. If we haven't met, I'm Nathan Brand, and I have the privilege to be the senior pastor here. So we're glad you're here to worship with us and celebrate this very important Sunday. Before I get into my sermon, though, I'm getting ramped up. Let's, oh, yeah. Are dismissing children for children's church. That's ages four through first grade, and you can follow Miss Paula Swartz out the north door, and she has a very special resurrection surprise for you. Well, now it's my turn. He is risen. Who has risen? Jesus. Okay. Well, that, that, that's good. But have you ever considered the fact that Jesus was not the first person to rise from the dead in the Scriptures? If you look in the two uh, Chronicles of the Kings, you'll see that Elijah raises up a, a young widow's um, a widow's son um, who dies suddenly. And then his, his protege, Elisha, raises up another, another child, the Shunammite's woman in 2 Kings uh, chapter 4. And then Elisha himself, when he dies, well, there's a, a quick funeral because these raiders are coming, so the, the people just throw this guy's body into his, his tomb and they touch his, his bones and the guy revives. He's resurrected. And then you've got the New Testament. Jesus raising Jairus' daughter. The widow at Nain in Luke chapter 7. And then the famous Lazarus resurrection that pretty much put Jesus on the map for good and for bad. But here's the question. What is the difference between what they experienced and what happened to Jesus? You see, all of those people would die again. They will have to be resurrected again. Jesus does not. There must be something different about Jesus, huh? Especially we who follow him. We claim that, you know, he is the Savior, he is Lord whatever that means. That placing your faith in Him means you can be reconciled to God, you can have eternal life, you're a new creation, and so much more. And think about someone hearing this for the first time. This Jesus guy lived, and then he died, and then he rose again. There must be something different about Him. More than just a guy from the first century who went around, you know, first century Israel, and was executed on a Roman cross, and rose from the dead, there must be something unique about him. We are continuing, continuing our, our series uh, through the, the letter to the Colossians from the Apostle Paul, and he's addressing a young church. Remember, when they're receiving this letter, it's about 30 plus years after Jesus has died. They don't have Sunday school. 
They don't have youth group. They don't have a wana. They don't even have a full Bible. They've got a few letters. Most of them are coming from a Gentile background, so this Jewish Messiah thing is still new to them. And so Paul is trying to bring clarification to a young church. What it means to follow this Jesus, and who is he really? So if you're with us last week, you'll see that Paul was offering up a prayer for this young church. That they would know God's will and all knowledge, wisdom, and understanding given by the Spirit. That is, what God is doing in bringing Jesus Christ to the world in that gospel. What does that mean? And that they would live a life worthy of the Lord Jesus. Not necessarily trying to pay him back, but a life actually living for him. For his purposes. Not in perfection, but doing your best to follow him and bearing fruit in every good work. And then also a heart of gratitude, grounded in the grace and all that Jesus, all that God has done in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to read these, these uh, words from 1 Corinthians 12, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 12 through 14. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So there's, res- there's rejoicing in what God has done. But now Paul wants to focus in specifically on who this Son is. And so if you have your Bibles, you may want to open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're going to pick it up at verse 15. So, if you're there, this is what it starts out saying. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. And in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible or the thrones, or powers, or rulers, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, and free from accusation. Let me pray, and then we'll dig in here. So Lord, in reading these few sentences, we see that you are the Lord of all. And Lord, uh, 
to come to grips with that, to fully comprehend it, is beyond us. But there are some things you want us to grasp in who you are. So open the eyes of our heart and let us rejoice in you, Lord Jesus, our risen Lord, and see you for who you truly are. And help us to respond with great joy and obedience. And if there's somebody who does not know you, Lord, today, I pray that you would draw that man, that woman to yourself. Lord Jesus, it's in your precious name I pray these things. Amen. Now here's a confession, folks, in these few verses. We are in the deep end of Christology. I could do probably a sermon on every two sentences. I mean, it is just deep and we are not going to be able to plumb the full depths of who Jesus is, being fully God, fully man. We're not going to be plumb, plumb the depths of how the Father and the Son interact, let alone the Holy Spirit within this. So you have to understand, I'm preaching more the big picture, more the forest than the trees today. But I hope it will make sense to you as we dig into each part. So, the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus is Lord over creation. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. That word image there is the word we use for where we get icon from. In the Greek, that's the word icon. And he is the image or the icon of the invisible God. Something that bears a likeness that points to someone or something. A good example of that was when you know, people were asking Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, okay, pull out a coin. Pull out a denarius. Whose image, whose icon is on that coin? It's Caesar's. Okay, give to Caesar what Caesar's. Give to God, listen, what is God's. Give to God what is God's. In this case, Jesus the Christ is the image of the invisible God. Now you can say, well, hey, wait a minute, Pastor. Aren't we all made in the image of God? Yes, that's true. It's affirmed in Genesis chapter uh, 1, verse 20, 27. But we, as men and women, have been failures as image bearers because we have rebelled against him. We are creatures that are created in the image of our creator. Here's the difference. Jesus is the creator who puts on flesh and enters creation to represent what God the creator is like. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this, kind of similar idea. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And the Apostle John in his gospel says, no one has ever seen God, but speaking of Jesus, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known or has explained him. When you see Jesus, the Son, you see what God is like. That's what Paul 
And John and all these authors are trying to explain. He is the exact representation of God's being. And then it says he is the firstborn over creation. And that word, it literally means the first put forth. And that can literally mean your firstborn child. Luke uses that to talk about Jesus being born to Mary. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. But it also means being preeminent. The, most, the one placed above all. The one placed above all. And here's a great example of this. It's actually found in the Old Testament. But if you look at the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, this is what it says about David. Psalm 89, verse 20. And then I'm going to skip over to 27. It says, I have found David, my servant, with my, with my sacred oil, I have anointed him. And I will appoint him to be my firstborn. David is number seven in the birth order in his family. Yet God says, I appointed him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. If you look at the covenant that God makes with David and with his descendants, he used to be, the sons of David are to be the firstborn of all the all the kings. And if you look at Jesus' you know, genealogy, his physical body, bodily genealogy, he is a literal descendant of David. And yet we know by Luke that he is virgin born. He is the seed of God. That's why the virgin birth is important, by the way. So he's both the son of David and the son of God. He's not a created being. No, he is the creator. Verse 16. For in him all things were created. So that's, the, again, the uniqueness of Jesus. The creator who enters creation. That does not mean that he was acting alone. He's acting with the Father and the Holy Spirit. As they say, let us create man or mankind in our own image. Genesis 1.26, he is the creator of all. And when Paul says all, he means all. Here's how he rolls it out. Things in heaven and on earth. That means the sun, moon, stars, galaxies, black holes, wormholes, whatever's out there. He made it all. The earth, men and women, animals, Vegetation, seas, lands, mountains, microbes, molecules, atoms. He made it all. The visible and invisible, that is the physical world's creation to the spiritual world of angels allied to God and demons aligned with the devil. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, that can include the spiritual forces that are out there that are influencing the, spirit, the earthly plane or earthly forces that are in submission or rebellion against their creator. But it's not outside of his control. Not outside of his control because it says all things have been created through him 
and for Him. They're created for His purposes. Created for His glory. Created for His ends. Even forces that seem in rebellion against Him. The devil. He's on God's leash. He's not out of His control. And then in verse 17, he says, He is before all things. Yes, from a time standpoint, but also from an authority standpoint. He is Lord. There's nothing that is outside of His control. There's nothing that is outside of His authority. And in Him, all things hold together. By His power right now, He is holding the universe together. Whether those are subatomic particles, whether it's the molecules that are holding you together, whether it's our Earth orbiting around the sun, or the angle that we are at at this moment, He's holding it all together. Each heartbeat, each breath, Everything. He's holding it all together. Right now, he's holding you and he's holding me together. I don't know about you, but that's a very comforting thought. Because there are moments I feel like I'm falling apart. But he's holding us together. And you will not depart this earth one millisecond earlier or later than when he says, it's time to go. He is holding it all together. He's the source of all creation. He was there at the beginning. And he is where history is heading. He is its end, if you will. Or should I say, he is actually its re-creation. So what I want you to see next is Jesus is Lord over re-creation. Not recreation. Not you heading out on your boat on the lake. No. Re-creation. That is remaking. Look at verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. In the beginning, God created everything, and it was good. And then sin entered the world, and death entered the world, and decay entered the world, and alienation. And it is Jesus' mission in coming to earth to reverse the curse of sin and death that every man and woman is heading towards because of our rebellion against our Creator. Toward a holy God. But let's not misunderstand what Paul says initially here. The way to this recreation is not by showing up for church. Okay? I highly recommend it. I'm glad you're here. But that's not where the recreation takes place. It is being transformed spiritually by what he has done. The Apostle Paul will say in another letter, if any man, any, any woman is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Jesus will say, 
Truly, truly, I tell you, no one can see heaven or enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again, born from above. It is a spiritual rebirth that takes place by only putting your faith in Jesus Christ, by seeing Him for who He fully is and trusting in Him. And when that takes place, well, then you become a new creation and you become part of His body. You become part of His church. And that means you have a new connection with Him as well as with each other. And let me just say this as a side note. I think a lot of believers are cutting themselves off from the benefit of what Jesus wants to do in them by keeping themselves away from the body, the church. But you have a new connection with Him. A new connection. You become a part of His body, and you become a part of His people. You become one of His holy ones, one of his saints, as verse 12 talks about. You, in, you have the inheritance of the saints. And here's where the Easter, here's where the resurrection part comes in, in this passage. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. You remember how I started this sermon out? I rattled off six different people who died and were raised from the dead. Right? And that's really cool. It does none of us any good. Save for just saying, isn't that amazing what God can do? But Jesus, the Lord, the Creator, dies. Then He defeats death to give it to us who believe in Him. He defeats death for us. And so in that way, he is the firstborn from among the dead. He is preeminent. He is the waymaker, the one who conquers death for our benefit. That's why Jesus, even before he was resurrected, would say to Mary at her at, at the tomb of his dead brother Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. I'm the resurrection. I am the firstborn from among the dead. And so Paul goes on to say, so that in everything he might have supremacy. To be that firstborn, to be that forerunner who brings us eternal life and resurrection. Let me just focus real quickly on where he says something very similar in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. If you are in Christ, God is saying, I have a mission to make you like my son. To make you like my firstborn. In your character, yes. But also in your body. To resurrect you. To make you like him in his glorious body. We were in Philippians just a few months ago. 
chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like His glorious body. He's going to conform you to His image in that way on that day when He returns for you and for me, for those of us who are in Christ. And here's the hard part. We live in the now. Yeah, that's promised us, but the not yet. We're not there yet. But He is the firstborn out from the dead so that we can be born out from the dead. That's who He is as the Lord of our recreation, to have eternal life. And maybe you say, you know, Pastor, that sounds too good to be true. I mean, it's a good story. Maybe it'll make a movie or something, but, you know, how could that be true? Here's what I want you to consider. If you really have truly some intellectual problems with this, I want you to look at the evidence of the resurrection. First of all, Paul's saying, look, there were more than 500 witnesses who saw this in his letter to the, the Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 6. So, that was a, you know, and, and he said most of them were still alive at the time. So he was talking about, hey, if this didn't happen, then we're foolish. Because we're living for something that didn't happen. So Paul is, Paul is, you know, dealing in reality. It's not this kind of pie in the sky thing. He's saying, hey, if it didn't happen, then we're the most to be pitied. But he did. And it appeared to more than 500. Second of all, consider his disciples. If you go through the Gospels, you see them, and you just see that they do not get it. They do not get who Jesus is and what he's trying to do. And that gives me hope for myself, because sometimes I feel like that. But you see that they don't get it, and they are shell-shocked when he dies. They are, they are totally beside themselves. They're ready to go home. They're hiding. They're, they're cowering. And then they see the resurrected Jesus Christ. And they are transformed and they become fearless. They become fearless in the, in the way of opposition. When they are tell, they're told, stop preaching about this Jesus and his resurrection. He says, we cannot obey men. We must obey God. They become fearless. And if you know their story, all of them save for one ends in a painful death. They're not hanging out together through the years that they have, they have left. They scatter to spread the gospel, and they all die in individual painful death, but none of them will recant because they have seen the risen Lord. And then there's the author of this letter itself, who is a, originally a hostile witness, Paul or Saul of Tarsus. He is ready to stamp out this new sect this new cult in his mind. He wants to put an end to it. And then he meets the resurrected Christ on the, on the road to Damascus. And he is knocked on his keister. And Jesus reveals himself to him. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. And then Paul is completely repurposed to be really the biggest proponent of the gospel and it's its most prolific defender of the faith. He wrote most of our New Testament. 
and if you know his story also, his life is not one of being healthy, wealthy, and wise. In fact, he's writing this letter from a prison. And he will lose his head for his faith in Jesus Christ. But he's so convinced that he is willing to give his life for that. And then just consider the impact of the Lord Jesus Christ on culture. I don't think we have any idea how much Jesus has impacted culture, about how we view women, about how we view children, how we even view the, 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 the virtue of humility. It is not a virtue of the ancient Greek world, trust me. It was all about pumping up yourself and how great you were. And Jesus changes that dramatically. One of the favorite books I have that I love to give away is this book called Who Is This Man by John Ortberg. And if you look at that, you see how Jesus has transformed all of Western culture and has transformed the world. The world is how it is. The Mayo Clinic exists today because of the impact of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you that if you want to read this, I'll give this away to the first person who comes to me. And then if you're just looking for intellectual evidence to who Jesus is, I've got five of these, a case for Christ. Would love to give that away to you. But here's the question. If you have genuine intellectual issues, hey, there are resources to dig in, to start looking. Let's wrestle with that. But here's the thing I think that so many of us are wrestling with because Jesus is Lord. I think we don't want to submit to him because we like being Lord of our own lives. Are you willing to submit to this Lord? That's the question. He's Lord of creation, Lord of recreation, but again, we don't start out that way. We start out separated from him, and he wants to give us life. So third, here's what I want you to see, that Jesus is Lord over reconciliation. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And again, this is pointing back to the deity of Jesus, that all the fullness of the deity dwells in him. Later in the same same letter, say in verse 9, for all... For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. He is holy God who enters creation. But his mission is not just recreation, it is reconciliation. That's what needs to come first. Verse 20. In verse 20 he says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. And again, this begs the question, why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? Well, first of all, because God in his character is the source of all holiness and all justice. And we, as as his creation, have rebelled against him. We have sinned. The scripture says that the wages of sin is death. And it says that all of us have sinned. And we may say, hey, but hey, I'm, I'm doing it better than the next guy, the next girl. That doesn't matter. The standard is him. He's the standard. 
we want to do our own thing. Our natural state is to say, no thanks God, I'll take care of it myself. And He is a holy God, and He is and He's the source of all justice, and He has to punish our sin. On the other hand, God is love. And He made us, He made you, He made me to know Him, to have a relationship with Him, to enjoy Him, and Him to enjoy us. We are created in His image. But He can't just wink at sin. He can't just say, ah, it's okay. No, He, by His own character, has to punish sin. And so He pays His own justice. And many of us know this already. He takes upon Himself our punishment, our wrath, so that we can be reconciled to Him. That's why we spent a good hour here this last Friday contemplating that. That the most innocent man that ever lived went to a cross, was unjustly accused, was ridiculed, brutalized, and then executed on a cross in a humiliating death. And He does it willingly. He's not a victim. He goes because he knows that's the price to reconcile us to himself. It is costly. And so it should be approached with a thoughtfulness and a soberness. It is the Old Testament prophecy of what God said in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace, that is reconciliation to God, was upon him, and by his wounds were healed. Again, if you are wrestling with following him, putting your faith in him, in submitting to him, I just want to ask you, who loves you like this? Who loves you like this? I'm a pastor. And I try and love people the best I can. But I wouldn't give up my daughters for this world. But the God of this universe does. He pursues us. Jesus comes. And he wrestles with this. He says, Father... All things are possible for you. If possible, let this pass from me. Let's pass from me, going to the cross. But not my will, but your will. I am willing to submit to the will of the Father in order that men and women might be reconciled to the Holy God. Who loves you like this? No one else does. No one else will. And if you're in fear of submitting to his lordship, fearful that he's going to rip you off, fearful that, you know, you're going to miss out, I just want to tell you, you're being deceived. You're being deceived. Jesus said, I came to give life and to give it to the full. And what he really desires is that you would be reconciled to him. And he to you. 
and be restored. That's what He's come to do. He wants you to know Him. He wants to give you life. And what He came to do, verse 22, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight. Where we get the word saints. Do you know that if you're in Christ, you are a saint? Not because you've got a backlog of all these good deeds. No, but because you are in Christ. When God the Father looks at you, He sees you as holy like His Son. And He goes on to say, if you're in Christ, you're without blemish. To present you without blemish. Every one of your moral failures and blemishes is covered by what Jesus has done. It's covered up. You are perfect in his eyes. And listen to this. And free from accusation. No one can accuse you of your sin, of your failure, because Jesus has paid the price. He has served the sentence for you. What an amazing thing. I don't know if you just think about those three things. You're holy, perfect, and you are free from accusation because what Jesus has done. It's summed up in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 21. God made Him, talking about Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. What an amazing exchange. So I don't know where everyone is today. Maybe for the first time you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you want to return to Him. But I want to tell you that He loves you. He sent His Son for you. He sent His Son who is the Lord of creation, the Lord of recreation, and He's the Lord of reconciliation. That's what He came to do, and that's what He wants to do in your heart today. Will you allow Him to do that in you? Will you allow Him to be Lord? in your life. A verse that many of us have memorized, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And those of us who have already by faith put our our faith in Him, we have no sense of pride or superiority Because that's what Jesus came to do. (laughs) To save us from our sins. To reconcile us. We're just responding with humble gratitude. But today we proclaim that He is the Lord of creation. He is the Lord of recreation. He is the Lord of reconciliation. There's no one like Him. In power, in justice, in love. And He has come for you.
He has come for you. That's something to celebrate. He is risen so that you may be also. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, again, there is no one like you. This is why your death and resurrection means so much. This is why you can reconcile anyone to yourself if they will put their faith in you. And so, Lord, would you draw someone to yourself today? Would you help them to believe? Would you help them to know that they are sinful and condemned to wrath without you, but in you they will have life, life to the full and eternal life. So break the chains that are holding, Lord. Draw someone to yourself today. And Lord, for the rest of us who know you, we are so grateful. We are thankful that you came for us. We are thankful that you, for the life you lived. We are thankful, Lord, that you, which, for what you endured. And we are thankful that you rose from the dead. And that you are coming again one day. Where you will fully conform us to your image. You are the firstborn. Firstborn of creation. Firstborn from out the dead. And you are Lord. And we worship you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.